You may be seated. And this is when the kids are dismissed. Is that right? You guys can go out here as well. So precious to see. Thank you, gentlemen, so much. Hey, um, so uh, thankful to be with you. Number one, let me say this. Thank you for entrusting your pulpit to a Canadian. Uh, I understand that's a big risk, and I appreciate that, so I don't take that lightly. And my wife, Jill, and I were very, very, very honored by the opportunity to be here. Number two, let me say this too. Um, I mean this as, as sincerely as I can. I love your pastor so much uh, and his wife, Pam. Um, my wife, Jill, and I, again, as Bill has expressed, uh, there's been a special thing that's happened over many, many years. And even just in recent times and even in this week, just being able to spend time together and what a blessing it is for our hearts to theirs. And so we are major, major uh, believers and supporters of all that's happening here at Hope Bible Church. And so that's our exact church name too, Hope Bible Church in Oakville. So we have that in common as well. And it's such a blessing to be able to share that and to be able to pray for one another and encourage one another uh, as well. And so we're, we're very, very grateful for that. Thirdly, um, I just want to take the opportunity to pray. Um, why do we pray? We pray because we must. Because we pray because our theology says that apart from Jesus Christ, we can do Nothing. So if you believe that, it makes you want to pray, doesn't it? <laughs> like if we actually believe it. So I'm just going to take the time right now. Let's do that. And so, uh, Father in heaven, uh, we do declare uh, our need for you so much right now. And maybe where you are right now, too, that you would just maybe simply but sincerely, you would say this simple prayer to the Lord to say, Holy Spirit, would you speak to me today? Um, for where you are as an individual, he loves you. Uh, he desires what's absolutely best for you. And he desires to change you and me. And so maybe it's been a bit, but just to, just to stop, to take a deep spiritual breath, to believe God is listening, that Jesus Christ has done everything for us we could ever need, and the Holy Spirit wants to comfort and teach and transform. And so again, it's where you are. Just You're here today. We've made the effort to come. So why not be changed? So Holy Spirit, would you speak to me? Pray that to him and believe again that he desires, that's his will. His will is our sanctification. Father, I gladly declare my utter weakness, dependency, uh, inability. Just, I can't say it enough. And so this is why we pray. I gladly bow low before you because you are awesome uh, and we are nothing. And But we do pray with expectancy that you will choose to use this day in a supernatural way, Lord. Uh, my wife Jill and I didn't come all the way from Canada just to go through the motions. We're here to see hearts encouraged and lives transformed. And Lord, we pray even for souls to be saved. So we pray this now in Jesus' name. If you agree, you can say amen. 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 Wonderful. Please find a Bible and open to Matthew 6. We'll be looking primarily at verse 33 today. Been a, a verse that's meant so much to me in my life and probably yours as well. And I'm delighted to be able to walk through this with you today as we do that. Um, again, our main text is Matthew 6, verse 33. We'll be looking at a little bit of verses around that here. The sermon title today, according to the text, is Seek First the Kingdom. Um, one of the most important messages of the entire Christian life really doesn't become more essential than this in terms of who we say we follow Christ and where we should go then and how we should think and the things that we should really desire. So um, this morning, there's, there's really no question, this is a very important time. Like right now, right now, as we open God's word right here, this is a very opportune time. And let me say this too, it's really this. Today, this morning, maybe you weren't expecting this, this is a heart check time. Okay, we're about to enter into a spiritual checkup, okay? So um, I grew up, my dad was a family doctor. And being a family doctor, like way back then, 
And um, he had the little black doctor's case. Like he actually had one of those things. Maybe you've seen them in movies or whatever. You've seen them in person. But he had a little black doctor's case. You can open it up, and there's some really neat instruments in there for a young boy to play with. You know what I'm saying? So they had, um, they had of course, like the tongue thing in there. You hold it uh, like that, whatever. So I had a younger brother who's five years younger. Guess who was the doctor? Guess who was the patient? You know what I'm saying? So I had one of those reflex hammers for the knee. Remember those things? Do they still do that, by the way? I, 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 I've been to the doctor. They do. Good. So anyways, hey, Jamie, younger brother, sit down. I smashed his knee, and the head works. You know, it works. And he kicked. But the best toy in the bag, any guesses? The stethoscope, yes. So I grabbed the stethoscope, and I'd go around, and I'd find out who's still alive in the family, right? So you go around, and you'd listen again, and listen for the heartbeat. And it was fascinating as a young boy, because you do this, and you go up to my older sister, younger brother, even my parents, whatever, and you put it on, you listen, and you could hear the heartbeat. And you're like, Jamie, you're still alive. That's great. That's great. Your heart is beating. And you get to give a checkup in a sense of what's happening. And in many ways today, loved ones, in many ways today, this is what we're doing, except it's a spiritual stethoscope that really the Lord's putting on and maybe we ourselves will be able to put on a sense and we'll be listening for our heartbeats for Jesus Christ. And if our hearts are in a healthy spot, they will beat, listen, they will beat the kingdom of God. No exceptions and no questions. That's absolutely certain. If we are where the Lord would have us be in his will, listen carefully, listen carefully. Our hearts will beat his kingdom because this is the very will of God. So again, today's a bit of a spiritual examination. I hope that you're willing to be a patient in this regard and even excited for what we might see and hear together. So Matthew 6, take a look at, um, I'm going to read verses 31 down to 34, and then we'll build around it as we go. Again, so good to be with you today. Matthew 6, 31. Jesus says this, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Notice, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. That's very interesting. He says, And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Here we go. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Here's the promise. And all these things will be added to you. Here's the outcome. Verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So as we come to Matthew 6, let's build some context. Let's remember this, right? This passage obviously is located within the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is the greatest sermon ever given. In verse 33, it contains the primary subject of the greatest sermon ever given, which is the subject of the kingdom of God. In verse 33, it also contains one of the strongest imperatives or commands relating to the most important subject, the kingdom of God. So you can argue this very easily as we come to Matthew 6, verse 33. You have one of the most important imperatives given in one of the most important subjects presented in the greatest sermon ever given by the greatest person who ever lived. Okay? So if I'm you and we get that context, I'm like, maybe I should take notes today. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is kind of an important moment. The greatest person who ever lived, the greatest sermon ever given, one of the most important topics ever, again, 
presented with one of the greatest commandments according to that topic. This heightens our expectation and our awareness of what God wants to teach us and the reality of what's being presented here and why this verse has been used to impact so many people over so many generations. So we're going to keep it simple today, but I pray it's going to be super helpful today. We really have one main point. We'll drop down into some subpoints as well. But the first point is this, as it should be, we must seek first the kingdom of God. We must seek first the kingdom of God. Now, the context of our passage is dealing with anxiety. I pause there for a second because anxiety is a real thing. Now, the context is anxiety over what? Anxiety over the temporal. Basic needs is, is, is the context we're dealing with. I just want to ask us a question before we go any further. Are we anxious over the temporal? Would you look at your life? Would I look at my life right now and we say that? And the answer is got to be yes on some level because this is how our world works. We are trained and taught and discipled by the world to be anxious about everything around us, especially a lot of the things that happen on a day-to-day basis. As we go through this too, I want you to see this as it pertains to the kingdom of God. Think about how anxiety over the temporal is such a killer of passion for God. Think about that. The more we think about the things of the earth and we worry and stress and are anxious, then our eyes are off of Christ and onto the stuff around us. See, this is why Jesus presents this in the way that he does. He wants passion for him. He wants commitment. He wants love. He wants adoration. He wants his disciples to live for the kingdom. So he just holds up so clearly for them. This is one of the greatest obstacles to truly seeking first the kingdom. It's anxiety over the things of the earth. Again, just by way of context, this should help us right now. Look at verse 25 of chapter 6. Notice Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or drink, or your body, or what you will put on. Look now at verse 27. And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Isn't that so good? That's so true. Hey, when's the last time worry actually helped you? When's the last time stress actually added to your lifespan? When's the last time that being all stressed out about something else actually increased your energy and fervency for the things? It doesn't. It doesn't do it. So Jesus knows what he's talking about. That's why he asked. Look at at verse 28. And why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. Look at verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, drink, or wear? Then look at verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. I mean, we're getting anxious as hearing the word anxious said so much, right? This is what's going on here. Now, whenever one word shows up that much within God's word, it's very clear the message that the Holy Spirit, at least in part, is conveying. The Holy Spirit, again, writing again Matthew's gospel at this time in this way, is really speaking to us about one of the greatest issues we face collectively. Notice too, right? So Jesus spoke this. Notice how much Jesus is anticipating one of the great struggles of our lives. He's anticipating the anxiety over the temporal. So three times Jesus commands. He he literally, he doesn't just like beat her on the bush. He's like, do not be anxious. Three times he says that as a command. Wow. Do not be anxious. Two other times he appeals to the futility of anxiety. Again, when has anxiety actually helped us? Worry is useless is what he's saying. But then notice, notice in verse 33, notice the contrast. Notice the word but. 
Here comes the contrast. He says, but you, you as in, or kind of like, but again, here comes, seek first the kingdom of God, now addressing his disciples as opposed to the Gentiles. We'll get to that in just a second. The Gentiles seek after the world, but disciples of Jesus Christ, you, we must seek first the kingdom. This is astounding to me because what's happening here, make sure you don't miss this, and I got to make sure that we kind of repeat a couple times. Jesus right now in verse 33, he is presenting the antidote to anxiety. Right here in verse 33, he's presenting the pathway to peace and the promise of provision. It's astounding. Like we're here right now, you struggle, I struggle, especially in terms of anxious thoughts and worry and whatever concern over the things. Jesus says, I have the answer. Here it is. So again, if I'm here right now and I'm listening and I'm awake and I'm paying attention, I'm like, Jesus is about to give the antidote to anxiety over temporal things. This is very, very important. This is very, very crucial. So what is the pathway to peace and the antidote to anxiety? It's verse 33. This is it. In its simplicity and profundity. If you don't have this verse underlined yet, change that right now. I'm a big supporter of underlining, highlighting, whatever is circling. Verse 33, read it slowly. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, let's break this verse down now. What does Jesus mean by that? How do we seek first the kingdom? The first sub-point is this. To seek first the kingdom means it will be my number one priority. It will be my number one priority. Seek first the kingdom of God. Question for you right now, okay? Honesty, God knows. I mean, we can trick maybe people around us, but we can't trick God. What right now? I'm not saying what do you want it to be. Right now in your life, what is the number one priority in your life? don't need to say it out loud. You can say it to yourself. But just, again, not what you want it to be. What is it in reality? If you're courageous, then you might even ask a loved one because they often know. They see us. They, they'll, they'll, if you really want to be courageous, ask your children. And your children know what mom and dad, or at least be interesting to hear, what does mom and dad love the most? What's the number one priority in your life right now? Is it truly the kingdom of God. I was thinking about this, and I wrote down a whole bunch of words that happened to start with F because I'm a pastor. That's what we do. We alliterate. And so a bunch of words that start with F that I think really summarize in many cases what our world considers the number one priority. First one I wrote down is the word family. For many, many people, the number one priority in their life is their family. Hey, do I love family? Amen. Do I love family? We have four kids at home right now. Miss them. Can't wait to see them again. Lord willing, we get back late tonight. Family is amazing, but they are not better than Jesus. Jesus says, whoever does not hate father, brother, mother, sister cannot be my disciple. Now, when he says hate in that language there, it's the Jewish idiom for seeing whoever does not love less. Jesus says, if your family is more important than the kingdom of God or Jesus Christ, you cannot truly be my disciple. Because at the end of the day, it's Jesus as number one, of course. Family's amazing. But the whole reason we can love our family as believers in Christ is because Christ gives us the ability to do so and the blessing that flows from there. So family can't be the number one priority. I wrote this one down too. I wrote down finances. For a lot of people, finances is the number one priority of their life. Interesting, in the context of our passage, Jesus says in verse 24, you cannot serve both God and money. 
They go, well, I'll try. I think I can. No, you can't. No, I can't. For many, many people in our world, money is more important than the Messiah. Finances is more important than Jesus Christ. It's important for us to be honest about this right now as we're going through this. I wrote down another word. starts with F. I wrote down fashion. You're like, really, Robbie, fashion? Have you looked at our world recently? Many people treat the mall as their temple. And they go to worship. You know it's true. For many people, the way that they look and the appearance that they present is far more important to them than the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ. What they spend their money on, what they think about all the time, how they go to such effort to do so. It's interesting, even the Pharisees were so concerned about their appearances, how the people saw. And the Pharisees said to Jesus, teacher, we know you're not swayed by appearances. Fascinating. For many people in our world, we are taught to make our priority again how we look and specifically even the clothes that we wear. I wrote down another word, starts with that. I wrote down Ferrari. You're like, I wish. Well, maybe you do, maybe you don't, okay? So whether Ferrari represents an object, but here's what we know, right? For many, many people, maybe here right now in our society, a thing like a car, an object, honestly gets more attention and more adoration than Jesus Christ in his kingdom. Sad but true. Like if I went up and, for some, for some, if I went up and breathed on your car in the wrong way, you'd be so mad. Get away from my car, right? Because it's, it's our treasure. And we treat it. And we're like, we, we, wor- and it's like we worship it more than the kingdom. That's a major problem in our world. We, we are taught and trained to do this. I wrote down another word starts with F. A fun. Fun for, for a lot of people is the number one priority of their lives. Fun meaning a leisure, pleasure, entertainment, comfort, ease. We are trained at the earliest of ages that this life in this Western world is all about us and ease and comfort. And for a lot of people, that is the single greatest priority that they have in life. I thought of this one too, the word food, food. I mean, um, Again, it sounds, really? Yeah, yeah. I think for people, food drives so much. Gluttony and the power and just how it's a greater priority and we have no self-control, whatever it might be. Or the reality of the kingdom. And then I wrote this another, another word starts with F is fame. For many, many people, fame is the goal. And you don't have to be a celebrity to, to do this. Under, under fame, you could write Facebook. TikTok doesn't start with an F, but Facebook does. And isn't it so true? The priority of people, I heard a story this week. The priority of people where their whole life is lived on Facebook and the attempt to try to find some kind of meaning and build a platform for recognition that people might pay attention, whatever it might be. And in, in the end, it's very sad and very tragic. And it's a greater priority than the kingdom. The last word I wrote down was physique. It's a phonetic F, all right? Pastor Bill and I, we went to the gym even yesterday. And um, in the, everything, so the states, everything's 10 times bigger here than Canada. 10 times the population than Canada. And everything's just overwhelming to me sometimes. And I walk into a certain places, I'm like, wow, man, there's like, anyways, you know it, I know it too. Our world has set up so many people worshiping their bodies. They're literally, uh, their entire life is built on health and diet and working out. I'm not against that, man. I, I like to do it myself too. But if it becomes your greatest priority of the kingdom, that's a problem. Let me just say this. What's the number one priority in your life? So this is really important. If you look at verse 32 now, back to the text, verse 32, Jesus says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. Okay, so that's Gentiles, unbelievers, non-Christians, heathen, pagans, is what Jesus is saying. And Jesus is saying, 
unbelievers are preoccupied with the temporal. For the heathens, if I can just say it this way, the, the physical things of life drive their lives. It's what they pursue. It's what they're passionate about. Jesus is like, Gentiles, unbelievers, are motivated by the physical. But the reason he brings this up, he's about to contrast it. The Gentiles seek after all these things, but you, my disciples, you must be different. The Gentiles are motivated by the physical. Believers in Jesus Christ, listen, must be motivated by the spiritual. Why? Because we're citizens of the kingdom. Right? So if we're citizens of the kingdom, then we belong to the king. And if we belong to the king, then we follow the king. If we say, I follow the king, but my whole life is spent going after the world, there's a massive theological disconnect that is very problematic. So if we're here right now, and we're like, yeah, the king, he's my king, but then I spend all my time ignoring the king and looking for the things of the world, again, this is a very large problem for our lives. Because Jesus says, no, 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 unbelievers, you can't really blame an unbeliever for seeking after the world. They don't know any better. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They're not saved. They don't have the wisdom of God. Of course they should go after such things. But he's like, but you, my follower, those who have been saved, those who have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, those that are redeemed and are new creations and now have been placed into the kingdom of God, we must look different. So this is when Jesus commands, but seek first, notice, priority. Seek first means supreme choice, greatest pursuit. Uh, seek first is I learn where something is that I want, I go after it. Um, think of intensity, zeal, determination. Think of a, um, an athlete pursuing a prize. Think of the dedication an athlete goes after the trophy. I mean, the self-control, the determination, the passion, the zeal. That's what seek first means here in the Greek. Think of a young man pursuing his future wife. That's intense, eh? That's, I mean, that's, that's, but that's what it means. Think of a farmer going after the harvest, the work ethic, the drive, the self-sacrifice for such things. This is what Jesus is getting at here. Seek first, first place, prominent, most important in my life. Seek first, number one priority. Again, what are the priorities of our lives? And know this too, loved ones, know this too. Hope I can call you loved ones. I do love you. You don't know me yet, but I love you. The priorities of our life, listen, will determine the pathway of our life. Whatever we prioritize, that will determine our path in life. This is why this is such a critical message. So our priorities drive us. It's why we do what we do. It's why we say what we say. It's where we go where we go. It's why we spend what we spend. Because the priorities of our lives, again, determine the pathway of our lives. Just to help us a little further here, illustration I found super, super helpful. Maybe you've heard this in the past as well. There's a story of a time, I get this from Stephen Cole, who's basing us off of um, Stephen Covey for this. There's a story of a time management expert who was speaking to a group of business students. He pulled out a large wide mouth jar and filled it with fist-sized rocks. When he couldn't put any more in, he asked, is the jar full? And the class responded, yes. And he said, really? Then he pulled out a bucket of gravel and poured it in, shaking it down through the cracks. Then he asked, is the jar full? The students were onto him. They said, no. Good, he replied. He dumped in a bucket of sand. Once more, he asked, is the jar full? No, they all shouted. Again, he said, good. He pulled in, poured in a pitcher of water until the jar was full to the brim. And then he asked his class, what's the point of the illustration? And one student ventured, no matter how full your schedule, if you try hard, you can always fit more in. 
And the speaker replied, no, that is not the point. The point is this. Listen, listen. If you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in at all. Okay? Now, let's relate this to our text. The kingdom of God is the single greatest rock we could ever hold in our lives or in our jar, so to speak. If we don't put the kingdom of God in first, it's so easily it's crowded out by the sand and gravel of our lives. Let me ask you this. And sand and gravel isn't always bad. It can be, but it can be good. It's not the best. What is the sand and gravel of your life and mine that might be preventing the kingdom of God forever getting in at all? So, and you don't have to give me answers right now, but I appreciate the feedback. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. But in your, think about in your own life and where you are. What are the things, what's the sand and gravel that might be preventing the reality of the kingdom of God. So this is why Jesus says you got to start first with God's kingdom. You seek first the kingdom and then all these things will be taken care of. Jesus promises by him. We must, must seek first the kingdom to again prove the priority of our lives and ultimately the blessing of what the Lord will bring to us. So seek first means number one priority. Secondly, the second subpoint is this. The kingdom of God means it'll be my number one passion so verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God. Now we speak of the kingdom of God. Uh, here's what we mean, okay? John MacArthur is really helpful for this. Take a look at the screen here. We can put that next slide up. That would be really great. So a definition, what does it mean to seek first the kingdom? To seek first this kingdom is to seek the rule of God and the will of God and the authority of God. This is what it means to seek first the kingdom. If we put that up, we put the next slide up here as well. We notice this here. So what that means is when I seek first this kingdom, I submit to God's rule. My ambition is the will of God. And my adoration is under the authority of the sovereignty of God. Something that I say to myself often is this. It's simple, but it helps me. God, Father, your will is the best will. Therefore, I want your will. I don't know what the best thing. I think I do. I'm so wrong so often. God, you know your will is the best will. Therefore, I want your will because whatever your will is, is the best thing for my life. Even if it's pain, hardship, or trial, you know I don't. I submit. My ambition is your will and I adore you under the authority. This is what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. I want to make something really clear here too as we go through this. To seek first the kingdom of God, please understand this. It's so important to understand this is not how we become Christians. You don't become a Christian by seeking first the kingdom of God. Listen, listen, listen. To seek first the kingdom of God proves we are Christians. Make, make sure we understand that. It's not like I'm going to try harder now and seek first God's kingdom and then I'll become a Christian. No, no, no. Those who genuinely are in the kingdom of God seek first his kingdom because again, we're citizens of the kingdom belonging to the king and we go in the direction of the king that we love and serve. So to seek first the kingdom of God is the proof that we are legitimately falling. Now, no, I want to be careful. We have bad days and we have bad seasons. We do. But in the end, if like your bad season is like 10 years, problem, okay? Problem, problem. There must be a pathway towards the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. It's what his citizens do. Think of it this way too, right? So if we're, if we're citizens of the kingdom of God 
and the kingdom's our passion, then why would we seek the world if we know it's empty? Why would we do that? That doesn't make sense. Why would we store up treasures on earth if we know they won't last? That doesn't make any sense either. Why would we build bigger barns to store our stuff if at the end of the day, God will just call us a fool? Luke's gospel says that. That doesn't make any sense either. If we are citizens of the kingdom and Jesus is like, don't live for the world and we live for the world, well, that just leads us down a pathway of spiritual idiocy. I think that's fair. That's fair. He says, do this and we do something different. That means we're foolish. Like it doesn't make any sense for us to gather the things that moth and rust destroy. We know better. It's amazing, eh? Like the issue of money and Jesus. It's a marvel to me. Consider that Jesus talked more about money than heaven and hell combined. Consider the 39 recorded parables in the Gospels. 11 of them are directed about money. On top of that, almost every page in Luke's Gospel contains a teaching on money. I always get, um, I always get a kick out of people who don't like sermons on money. I'm like, you would not like Jesus' church. Like, you would walk out of Jesus' messages all the time. Like, he was not afraid to address the reality of the heart because he loves us too much, right? So I don't have issues preaching messages on money because when the wall is converted, the heart is converted. And why would you say that, Robbie? Because if you look at Matthew 6, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will be your... We're almost there. We're not there yet. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also, one of my favorite verses, you're like, hey, hey, where's my heart? Find your treasure. Find your treasure, find your heart. Where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. See, Jesus knows this. So he's constantly loving the people enough because when he has their hearts, he has their everything. Again, if you look at, look at Matthew 6, verse 24, take a look, just so you know, I'm not making this stuff up. No one can serve two masters. You will either hate the one or love the other, devoted to the one or despise the other. And the whole point here is you cannot serve God in money. That's pretty clear, isn't it? You cannot serve God and money. So it's one or the other. I think, you know, um, it's such an important topic to bring up because I believe in our world that we live in and over the course of generations and centuries, so often the single, listen carefully, the single greatest obstacle to truly seeking the kingdom of God is the love of money. This is why Jesus addresses it so much because listen, he loves us so much and he wants our hearts. And so he's not afraid to hold up to our faces and our hearts that one of the single greatest obstacles to seeking God's kingdom is the love of money. It is such an obstacle to passion again. So this is why we have to be honest where we are and to say, man, if I want to seek first the kingdom, it's, it's got to be the kingdom. The kingdom of God is a theme that also means so much to me. And just now we can go to that, to that first verse. Verses that just, I'm hoping these verses, the kingdom of God will pop now as we're thinking about it so much. So look what Jesus says here in Matthew 19. He says, truly I say to you, only with great difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, easy for a camel to go through eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Not impossible, just really difficult. Why? Why is it really difficult for a rich person? Because, because wealth, it blinds us and makes us feel self-sufficient. So the wealthy, I don't need God. Why do we need God? 
I'm God. I can do whatever I want. Buy whatever I want. Do whatever I want. I don't need it for anything. So wealth is very, very dangerous because it, it's deceptive and breeds self-sufficiency in so many people's lives. So this is what we have to understand. Let's go to the next verse now. The next verse here, Mark 9, right? Notice, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes be thrown into hell. Listen, not my words, Jesus' words. What's the context here? Lust. Lust. Men, women. Jesus is saying, if we're going to seek first the kingdom of God, it, it will entail and require at times such radical behavior that things like the sin of lust, we are willing to smash a computer. We are willing to bring accountability into our lives at extreme levels. Anything to not allow us to go down a path that will ruin us, destroy us, and sentence us to eternal death, hell, apart from the Lord Jesus. Is it worth it? Is anything worth not getting into the kingdom of heaven? Because a sin is going to absolutely destroy our lives. Radical behavior. To say, seek first the kingdom of God. Serious stuff. And not my words. It's the words of Jesus. Here's another verse here. Let's go to the next verse. Luke 9. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand at the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God then is single-mindedness. If I'm going for the kingdom, man, it is, it is like a laser vision. Again, we have some bad days. But in the end, in the end, put the hand to the plow and there we go. We are going for God's kingdom. Last verse I wrote down here is... John 3, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Isn't it amazing? So to truly see God's kingdom, we must be born again. It was so beautiful. Yesterday, my wife Jill and I, Bill and Pam, we were sitting down and we ended up, it was, it was unplanned, we ended up sharing stories of our testimonies. And uh, we all took a turn, re like recalling and recounting, honestly, with tears in our eyes, at God's grace of when he brought us to salvation. And all our stories, it's so amazing. It, 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 I get shivers right now even thinking about it. It was, so, it was so encouraging. We were so blind and so dead. And then by God's spirit and by God's grace, we were regenerated. We were made new creations. And all of a sudden, we could see Jesus Christ. And by grace, through faith, receiving forgiveness of sins. And in that moment, we literally were blind. And now we could see. And when you can see, I mean, and to hear, I was, I was so encouraged to hear Bill and Ham's testimony again in such detail and to say, man, the absolute transformation of dead and alive, of blind and see, because when you're truly born again, everything changes. And when you see the kingdom of God truly, how do you ever go back to the world that you formerly were a part of? That's what God does. That's what he does, right? This is what, again, we are made new creations and we see differently and then we live differently because we love differently because all that Jesus Christ has done. Hey, maybe you're here today. I don't know. I don't know who's here. God knows exactly. Everyone is born once physically. But to enter the kingdom of God, we must be born again spiritually. We must be reborn by the Holy Spirit of God. Ultimately, again, salvation coming by grace through faith in Jesus Christ for his shed blood, forgiveness of our sins that we cannot attain on our own. That when you truly believe in him and see him, you are saved and you will never be the same again. You are a child of God and your future is eternal life with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the power of the gospel. And all those who do believe in Jesus and receive Jesus, they are citizens of the kingdom. They shall never ever die again. And this is why the church exists 
to see more men, women, and children saved in the Lord Jesus Christ to see the kingdom of God. And then they seek the kingdom and they love the kingdom and they pursue the kingdom. And one day Jesus Christ will return for all his citizens and we will see him and we will glory. And then what a day, what a day that is going to be. Seek first the kingdom of God, my priority, my passion. Thirdly, this, his righteousness now in our text means my number one pursuit. His righteousness means my number one pursuit. So again, look at verse 33, okay? Look at verse 33. So seek first the kingdom of God. Now this phrase is often missed. Like seek first the kingdom of God, amen, amen, amen. But notice, seek first and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and right with it as powerfully and as strong and his righteousness. So what does that mean, and his righteousness? It's not that complicated. And his righteousness in a word, holiness, character, um, sanctification. Sanctification, a theological word meaning to grow more like Jesus Christ. Seek first his kingdom. One of the best ways we seek first his kingdom is to also seek his righteousness. So here's a profound Phrase. I want you to listen carefully or you may not get it, okay? Here's the profound phrase is this. The more we are like Christ, ready, ready? The more we are like Christ. I know it's profound. It's amazing. It's such a big deal. But here's what I mean by that. Think about it. it. Listen. The more we become like Christ, think like Christ, speak like Christ, act like Christ, love like Christ, desire like Christ, and give like Christ, we are seeking the kingdom of Christ. You don't, you don't separate those. The more holy we are, the closer we are to God. The closer we are to God, the less we are living for the world automatically. The closer we are to God, the more we are like Jesus Christ, the more we are seeking the kingdom of God. So in other words, listen, it's theologically impossible to seek his righteousness and to not seek his kingdom. So every time we grow more like Jesus Christ, transformed from one degree of glory to another, every time we do that, we're automatically seeking his kingdom. We're automatically seeking his favor and blessing. We're automatically, again, moving in the direction of the Lord Jesus Christ. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So righteousness is such a massive deal. Let me put it this way. That's why then sin is anti-kingdom. Sin in our lives is the greatest, again, obstacle or what ruins our pathway to the kingdom of God. The more unrighteousness fills our lives, the less we are seeking God's kingdom and the less we will know his blessing. It is that simple. The more we seek to cleanse ourselves of what is harmful. I mean, I'm thinking of 2 Timothy Chapter 2, verse 21, and just where Paul says, let us cleanse ourselves from unrighteousness that we might be set apart and useful as honorable vessels to the things of the Lord. So it is right there. Cleanse ourselves from sin, and now we're useful, ready, set apart for the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. Take righteousness so seriously. I remember, um, I said I got four kids, two boys, two girls. Our oldest boy now is 19, second year of university. And I remember, though, when, when our kids go into grade 9, that is when we officially kind of get them a phone of some kind. And when our boys were in grade 9 and uh, it was time for them to get a phone, that we had to also put some significant um, accountability software on their phones and computers. And that was something we take very seriously again in our home and we, and we seek to do. But as I was doing this, I was like, and I have that on my phone and computer and have for many, many years in different forms, my wife and others holding me accountable, I was thinking, you know, as my son Aiden, let's say, at this time, he's going to get this on his phone. I said, why would I not reverse that as well? 
So why would not he receive accountability reports from me? Let, let's let him have access into dad's heart and life. And I was thinking about that too, you know. I was thinking, um, what would happen if the day came when my son received a message of some kind of alert that his dad was looking at something or doing something that was absolutely awful and deplorable. Like even as I say it even right now, like to be in that point as a father trying to be an example to your sons, and if you were to ever receive something that would indicate that I was doing something in some kind of evil, awful fashion, the shame, the grief, the weight of just absolute, it would just be awful. And I'm telling you, I want that feeling. I want the feeling of the weight. I want the feeling of the seriousness. I want the feeling of the desire for righteousness so God willing, that day will never happen. So interesting. This was back when happening and, and um, a lot of laws were being passed. Canada's crazy, okay? Canada's messed up. Pray for us. And uh, I grieve and pray a lot, whatever. But this is all when marijuana was being legalized like crazy. And I remember I was looking at some news articles and all that kind of stuff. And so, so then my son's phone got alerted a bunch of times. And, about, and, the, tree, and, the, and the key word was marijuana. And my son comes up to me. He says, Dad, I'm getting all these marijuana signals. Are we okay? And just like... <laughs> I said, yes, thankfully we are some, but thanks for checking. Thanks for checking. Keep doing it, okay? Again, listen, listen. How important is righteousness to us? Righteousness puts us on the path to God's kingdom by grace, by the Holy Spirit, by confession, by repentance, not by like just trying hard our own effort. It's all about letting Jesus Christ live more and more in our lives. Such a big deal. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then lastly is this, sub-point number four, and all these things will be added means it's my number one promise. You knew that was going to start with a P, right? Of course you did. Number one promise. So look at the end of verse 33, okay? Again, if this verse isn't underlined yet, you better get that done before the end of the service today, okay? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. Like this, look, look, look carefully, look carefully. Pay attention right now. And all these things will be added to you. So loved ones, church, look, look. Jesus just made a promise. It's a promise made by Christ to us. And here's the promise. If we seek first his kingdom, if he and his kingdom is truly our priority and our passion, he promises, he promises right now, I will take care of the details. You seek me and you let me handle the rest of what you need in life. You're reading the same Bible I am. You know what it says. He just says, seek me first. Seek my righteousness first. And all these things in our context of the needs of life, you don't worry about that. You let me worry about that. What God is saying to you, the father is saying to his children today, child, you seek me first. I got your back. That's powerful. I want you to feel that. You seek me first. I got your back, child. And I'm good on my promises. So listen, either we believe what he just promised or we don't. Either we believe that Jesus is not a liar and we believe that the Father means what he says in his word or we don't. If we believe that God is true to his word and he's making promises that he will keep, 
then therefore we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and we let him worry about the details of provision in our lives for the things that are necessary and needed in our lives as well. We don't worry about that. We don't stress about that. We don't get anxious about that. When we have these thoughts, we remind ourselves. That's why Matthew 6.33, commit it to memory if you haven't already so you have it as a spiritual weapon when the enemy starts to whisper and the doubts come in and the anxiety creeps up and you can literally say out loud, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to me, says the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the promise of God the Father. It's powerful to do that. This is what we do. And then therefore, Lord, I trust you. I believe in you. Get away from me, Satan. Get away from me against sinful thoughts of doubt. I am with Jesus Christ in his kingdom. Jesus has made a promise. I am on his team. I belong to his family. He will never let me down. And therefore, therefore, he's got my back. Amen and amen and amen. And remember, if God is for you, who can be against you? If God is for you, I like your chances. I like your chances. I always say to our kids too, man, you get in the, in the, in the huddle of life, and you're, I used to play a lot of sports, get in the, in the huddle of life. By the way, I always said I should have been an American man. Never played hockey, love American football, watch all your sports all the time. I need to move down here. Anyways, so I, I'm in the huddle of life. I'm in the huddle of life, and I look at my team, who's in the huddle, and I'm like, hey, they're pretty, pretty. And I look across, and I'm like, wait, God, God's on our team. Like he's literally in the huddle. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm here. And I'm like, if God's on our team, I really do like our chances. You know what I mean? Like, like God's never lost ever. Like he's undefeated all-time champion of the universe and he'll never, ever be beat ever. And I'm like, you call the play, God, I'm good. Whatever it is, like, ready, break, we're good. Like, it's just gonna be awesome. But listen, this is your reality if you belong to the kingdom of God. You are a child of the king. He's got you forever. So maybe, maybe right now, and you know, just wrap this up. Maybe right now, one of the first steps for us is just to, is to first say, God, I'm sorry. I repent of not believing in you. I repent that I haven't trusted you. I repent that I've been seeking the world as opposed to your kingdom. I repent that you haven't been first. In fact, maybe you haven't even been third or fourth. I repent that I have not taken you at your word. And today's a new day. Today's a new day where I believe you and love you. I'm renewed in you. And I desire, I desire to be filled by you again by your spirit that it might be used now for the purposes of the kingdom with the one life that I've been entrusted with. Man, that would be awesome. And if we all decided to do that in this church right here, man, the Lord would continue to do awesome things through you and in our midst. This, this is why Jesus Christ came to live a perfect life, to die on the cross and be raised from the dead ultimately, to save us and to allow us to enter into his kingdom, to now bear fruit for him and his glory. God help us. Amen. Amen. The worship team, you guys can come up right now. And hey, let's just pray. Let's just pray together. I encourage you to just take a moment, stillness. What do you need to say to the Lord today? I've already given you some ideas. And what is the Lord saying to you right now? Yeah, and I, I really encourage you, don't rush the moment. But just to speak to the Lord. He loves you so much. Father, forgive me for this. Forgive me for my distraction. Forgive me for my lack of priorities. God, forgive me for how I have missed the point. Forgive me, and he will. He will. If you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And now today, in Jesus' name, it's a new day. Today's a new day. A new hope, a new desire, a new uh, affection, new plan, new path, new opportunity. He does. He cleanses us to use us. 
And so I pray such blessing upon this church. Oh, Lord, I pray for Hope Bible Church right now. You will have unusual favor and blessing and joy and power and sincerity and honesty and integrity and affection and desire and just such, such an awareness that our lives are here for the purpose of Jesus Christ. So may we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.